Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Well, that was a, well, I'm doing pretty good. I think pretty much every single Oiler fan is flying pretty high right now, Bruce. That was one of the most impressive uh, dominating games of the year. Everything seemed to go well for the Edmonton Oilers. And um, pretty hard to complain. 6-2 win over the hated, hated, hated Anaheim Ducks. Not so hated anymore, maybe. They're not the Anaheim Ducks of your, they're not the Anaheim Ducks that we, um, you know. Well, no Ryan Guts, or no Ryan um, <clears throat> Kessler. Kessler. No Corey Perry. No I mean, Kevin Bieksa. So, yeah, that was basically number one and two reasons for uh, hatred of the Ducks, along with uh, Mr. Getzlaff. But uh, I think I, I have, yeah. Yeah, I don't miss Kessler even a tiny little bit. Not oh, he's such a, a dirty smidgen. player. The only well, thing they, the uh, Ducks weren't whis- missing was the refs on their side. Uh, we'll leave that as it is. It wasn't actually that bad. Uh, Bruce, so we're going to do our... Two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast, and we both might sneak in an extra good thing because there were so many good things. There's a lot in, of good things tonight. In tonight's, in tonight's hockey game. Why don't I start it off with, um, you know, I, I have criticized uh, the line, the grind line of Kara, Sheehan, and Archibald a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kurt, our, our colleague, Kurt Levins, points out, well, you know, they have a lot of defensive zone starts. And they're against fairly tough competition usually. And, and I think these are valid things to consider when you're looking at their their performance. But, Bruce, they've been getting caved against uh, that kind of opposition. So that's – I'm not going to dwell on that because that's my criticism of them. But I thought they had by far their best game as a threesome trio tonight. And, um, and I think it was really triggered by Archibald finally bringing his day game. I've been expecting this player ever since he got here who was just a super hustler and a real hitter and a digger and a grinder, just someone who's like a maniacal worker out there. And this is the first game I can honestly say I saw that, but I did see it tonight and it was, and it was great to see because when that guy really is digging in and working hard like that, he, he, can, he can play in the NHL. And uh, I thought Sheehan also was working extremely hard, working very hard tonight. And I've, of those three players, uh, Riley Sheehan has been the one I think who has performed the best. Um, again, tonight they were part of a, a really strong and useful PK unit. I'll I think say. all three of them got some, some time out there and they all did their jobs and that was huge for the owners tonight. So Bruce, like we see, this is a funny team, right? Because uh, I think all of every order fan has this moment, we all have, kind of PTSD from the decade of darkness. And we're all expecting it to cave in at any second. And so, so things are going right. Like the goaltending's going right. And um, the puck moving from the defense is going right. And the the PK and the power play, a whole host of things are going right. But the one thing wasn't going right. And what we expect is, well, the bottom lines, that's not going to go right. And then all these other things are going to go wrong as well. We don't expect actually everything to start going right. Like happens on a good team where everything starts to go right on a good team. Mm-hmm. Are we going to see that? Because that's what we saw tonight. We saw everything going right, including finally depth scoring and uh, depth checking. So it's a miracle. Well, depth checking for sure. I mean, depth scoring, when you got McDavid three, Nugent Hopkins two, Cassian one, I mean, those are your, your kind of your major scorers. 
Uh, give her minus the absence of uh, Dreisaitl, who merely had four assists on the night, but no actual goals. So they looked after the offense, but I like the 20-man effort or the 19-man effort uh, up and down through the lineup tonight. Uh, I count and, Nuge's depth at this, like anything other than the, the <laughs> Nuge. Nuge is only guy had one gore goal going into the game, Bruce. I'm, I'm counting yeah. his depth at this point. Well, his his two goals are my good thing, and it was nice to see him get one very early in the game, just simply by old-fashioned take the puck hard to the net and somehow manage to find a hole in a netminder for a change. And you know, you keep you keep. Testing them, these NHL goalies are going to—they're going to take some away on you. But every once in a while, you're going to find a hole, and and he did. And it was like he took the old orangutan off his shoulders, right? Because he was flying out there the whole rest of the night, and he scored another goal on an absolutely wicked wrist shot from the top of the slot, right in the top corner, just blew away John Gibson. Yeah, uh, through a screen. But that was a great shot, and that was a, a shot of a guy who. Who's suddenly feeling it? I mean, seven shots on net tonight, uh, and he led the forwards with 18:43 in ice time, which is a nice low number for all these games where they've been leaning on guys for 27 minutes and stuff. Uh, they got, um, uh, but Nuge had a lot of energy and he had a lot of jump in his step. He also led the team in shorthanded ice time, two minutes 49 seconds, the most of any forward. And the uh, forwards as a whole did a very fine job on on the penalty kill. And he was a team leader out there in, in all respects tonight. And uh, on top of a very good game on Friday night when our colleague Kurt Levins gave him the highest grade of any order, tonight he's got some serious competition and I got some head scratching to do and I think I'm going to be giving out some nice grades to uh, two guys tonight. But uh, so I should. They played well. Yeah. And James Neal on that first goal. I, a Calgary blogger was telling me today, like, despite whatever I've been seeing, like, the James Neal is a bad player, he's telling mm-hmm. me with certainty. Yep. And um, <laughs> we'll see. I don't know about that, Bruce. I don't know about that. He's certainly a vastly superior player, too. Um, not going to say anything else about that. Uh, anyway, James Neal, nice play on that first goal. I don't know why he didn't get an assist. I thought he touched the puck. And uh, he where just, he got it, he kind of hassled the guy and he bumped him, and the guy lost the puck off yeah. the side of the net without really Neil doing anything more than harassing him into a turnover. Sweet. Sweet. So I'm sure you gave him a, a, a major assist on a scoring chance, and he yeah. deserved one because he caused that that turnover and that quick chance. And Nuge and he took the defenseman out of the play too, so he gave Nuge a little bit of time yeah. to do something. All kinds of time. You don't want to give a player like Ryan Nugent Hopkins with hands like his, like two seconds in front of the net. You might even have three. Uh, So Bruce, my other, uh, we're going to do two good things because there's so many good things tonight. My other good thing was, you know, I'm a minor hockey coach. I've been so for a while. And we always tell the kids, you like, shoot, shoot, shoot. Don't try to stick out of the puck right into the net. Like, don't do that. And I think we're going to have to reappraise what we're telling the kids because Connor McDavid showed us again how to play hockey and he stick handled that puck right into the top corner of the net. Like he did just took it right in stick handling it all the way and essentially just lifted it up with his stick into the top corner of the net. It was, I was laughing out loud for about five or 10 seconds after that goal. It was such a great moment, such a great goal from Connor McDavid. So three goal night. He had, um, I think he had, yeah, he had five grade A scoring chance shots all by himself. The Oilers 
outdid them 14 to nine in that regard. McDavid had five all on his own. So what a game. Yeah, he even went down, like the buddy tried to take him down. He went down to one knee, recovered his balance. And uh, so part of that play was was um, simply fighting through a heavy check yeah. to, to get through. And then to put such a nifty little dangle on the, on the netminder and roof it from like two feet out. <laughs> very, Gibson. very elite play. Gibson, Gibson didn't look that good tonight, I didn't think. Like there was a few... There were kind of A B chances, you know, you know, like McDavid. Yeah, right through, man. yeah, you know, he, he might like those are McDavid's steaming down the wing like that, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. on on his goal, like it's it's so fast. And what's hard for a goalie is when the puck is moving, like when when a guy's coming in straight on you. NHL goalies make that save. Like there's got to be some movement. You got to make the goalie move. Well, McDavid mo- is so fast down that wing, just by his very speed, he's almost got the goalie moving. Yeah. He does have the goalie moving, and that's why he hit the post on the one and scored on the other. No, they were both uh, the same. He was like wide. He was kind of technically outside of our scoring chance zone. Yeah. But he was going at such a speed, and Gibson was scrambling over that it was like he was taking a one-time shot from there because the goalie was not stationary except for the shot. And the first one, he fired high glove side, beat him. And then the second time, Gibson's maybe thinking high glove side, and Connor goes low stick side, beats him again, and in the net this time. And that started the uh, the floodgates after that. So what's your other good thing, Bruce? You can get one more. Do you have one? <sighs> okay, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out Oscar Kleppbaum for... Uh, uh, I thought his pairing struggled a bit in the first period, and I'll talk more about that in a second. But uh, he came yeah. on very strong, played 26 minutes uh, plus. He had two points. I think he had gone 11 straight games without a point. And he had two points tonight, uh, including a visionary pass to McDavid on the final goal where he... he uh, he saw the guy wide on the play uh, as he got the puck in the slot, and instead of just blindly firing away, he he slipped it over to McDavid for the one timer, and that was a that was like sometimes when I see Kleppbaum on the point, I'm a little critical of his vision. Like he sees the two guys that are like his constant outlets, but he doesn't see the sneak dope play at the back door. Well, this time he did, and uh, it uh, it worked well. But he led the team in. Uh, Ice time in, uh, uh, he let the defense core in power play time in shorthanded time and even strength time. Like he was just logging a huge ton of minutes. Even in this game where the Oilers had him under control, they really leaned heavily on Oscar Kleppbaum and he's, he's going to get a shout out for me. I think it's, you know, his play has been up and down. Like he, he makes, well, there's always those plays moments. He makes some, he makes some real brain cramps. Uh, he just loses. I don't know, his focus or whatever. He just loses guys in front and stuff once in a while. But yeah, like he does a lot of things goal. right. Mm. Yeah, like yeah. So, so you know, we do and we call him out. Like we consistently mm-hmm. do point out his mistake. So it's I, I think it's really appropriate because you know he, he is one of the truly bargain players in the NHL. He's a top four defenseman um, who who probably gets the most ice time of any Oilers defenseman. I think he does, or it's him or Nurse. It's got to be close and. Um, he he's holding his own in a top four rolling and role and more more so than that usually he's uh, solid with the puck he's generally solid defensively um, he's solid running the power play he's not an exceptional player like in any regard I don't think but he's a very he's a good to very good player in a lot of different areas of the game and um, on an Oilers team that's uh, you know rounding into shape 12, 12 wins Bruce in nineteen games he's a big part of it and. 
We all remember how great he was in 2017 in the playoffs that he can play at a very high level. So good to see Oscar Clefbaum. He's playing, he's playing his best hockey consistently since the 2017 playoffs. He's not quite at that level, but he's close to it and good for him. So let's move on to our bad things, Bruce. Um, why don't I go? Uh, okay. My bad thing was the Anaheim defense. And I didn't say too much during the game because, of course, you know, you I'm superstitious and you don't want to jinx it. Well, I don't want to look bad on, like, if I tweet out something like, this defense is an AHL defense in the first period and then and then the Anaheim wins the game, then you look dumb. So I kind of keep my powder dry. But that's what I was thinking the whole game long. And because I was thinking, like, who are who are these guys? And it was it it reminded me of an Edmonton Oilers defense from the decade of darkness. I'm surprised Anaheim has the record they do, but maybe the uh, so I don't know how long Manson's Manson's been out for a while now. But it, Lindholm's out. I don't know how long he's been out for. But those are two obviously outstanding. They're they're top pairing NHL de- defensemen. You're missing those two guys. It's like the Oilers missing Nurse and Bear. And but so who do they have instead? Well, they had. Um, Cam Fowler, who's a really good defenseman, but they had Josh Mahura, who 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 has played in the AHL this year, Eric Goodbranson, who's on his third NHL team in the last two years, Michael Delzato, who was on three NHL teams last year, uh, Larson, I think it's Jacob Larson, who was in the AHL NHL la- last year, and mm-hmm. Kobinian Holzer, who is a great Dallas Aikens kind of player, right? That maybe even played for Dallas Aikens way back when with the Marlies. You always expect Dallas Aikens to have a few uh, kind of minor league guys. He who was on be. the power play with Will Acton and Ryan Hamilton. <laughs> you, Ryan Hamilton. You you wouldn't you would Aikens always has a few of these guys who shouldn't be in the NHL, but because he played for them in the firm, well, he's up there. He's only playing because of he may not have many choices with the injuries. He, but you he look at you not. look at Anaheim and you think this is a team that had uh, Sammy Battenen. They had Shea Theodore, they had Brandon Montour, three sort of modern era, puck moving, good skating, D-men. They got rid of all of them for various reasons. Traded yeah. them, uh, tried to, you know, build in other positions and stuff because they had so much depth on defense. But man, you take Manson and, and Lindholm out of that lineup and it is a weak crew, no two ways about it. And the orders exposed that to me. Yeah, I guess it would be this again. It would be this for similar for the Oilers if they were losing Baron Nurse and the Oilers wouldn't look that good. Of course, if Adam Larson was bad, I don't think Edmonton would look as bad as Anaheim. Just look because that that's a real ragtag crew. And if if Aikens before these two other guys come back, I don't know when that is, but if he can win some games, like credit to the coach because that defense uh, really struggles. So, what is your bad thing? Uh, I'm going to stick to the first period of Joel Pearson, and man, did he have a rough start. And he, by the 10-minute mark of the first period, he'd already been lit up for four grade-A scoring chances against him. Uh, and they were uh, uh, big big <laughs> errors by him. Yeah, they uh, were. And, and that led to uh, twice they had, to, uh, they had two big chances in short order, and one of them eventually wound up in the net. And I, I saw him with a critical eye for a bit afterwards, and he looked he looked very unsure of himself, a little sort of slow reacting, a little, little tentative, or a lot tentative. And then somewhere around uh, late in the second period, maybe in the third, all of a sudden he started to get some jump in his step and some zip on his passes again, and he was fine. 
but he sure wasn't fine in the early going of this game. He, he looked exceedingly nervous and and, uh, and struggled mightily. And oh, uh, yeah. I wondered I wondered if he might wind up in the bench again like he did, you know, a couple games back. But like I say, the coach stuck with him and his partner had a strong recovery of his own. And eventually uh, Larson or sorry, Parson started to uh, started to show uh, his at least A minus game for the you know back yeah. part. He, he did actually. He came on, and I was I was worried actually that he would be benched because I don't think it's the right move. Um, even though he was, it was rough. It was it's really rough, and you could just see it's palpable seeing the player the, the issue's confidence because mm-hmm. you can see he can make plays, mm-hmm. and he when he's aggressive he gets stuff done, and he he I think he actually has a fairly high hockey IQ as well. Yes, like I, I can I, I I think it's I think I can see him. Like he seems to read the game well, like but he's he's tentative, he he's hesitant, he's not going for it, and he screams of a player who needs to go to the AHL for about a month or two, Bruce, to get his game together in North America. Because I think before the end of the year that Joel Parison can help the Edmonton Oilers. He looks like he can help them, but um, now the, the good news is Adam Larson's coming back, mm-hmm. and they're going to have an opportunity to make that decision. And um, I think I think that's what's going to happen. I think um, that he will go down to the HL probably for, um, you know, like he can't beat out Matt Benning. Matt Benning's playing. Matt Benning and Chris Russell look damn good to me. Like I like that third pairing. That is a yeah, that's one of the best. They're solid as a third pairing. Best third pairings in the NHL. One of the best, Bruce, is are those two guys because they're both solid positionally, defensively, and when Matt Benning is out there, like Chris Russell's not a bad puck mover. He's okay, at least, when he's... Uh, and Matt Benning is okay. So you have two kind of okay guys um, moving the puck, but two superior players in terms of their defensive fundamentals. And they don't give up much. So I don't see Parison budging one of those two guys. And so Larson's coming in the lineup. So, yeah, he he could use a little stay down there, and it's no, no uh, rip on the player at all. I see an NHL player there, and, um, you know, there's going to be injuries through the year, and he's going to get another chance up here, and I think he'll make the most of it, but... He needs that little respite. Yeah, well, it was another plus night for the Benning-Russell pairing. And they were solid. What I saw tonight, uh, and I've been seeing more lately, is more command with the puck by Matt Benning. Yeah. And I... just a little bit more patience, a little bit of calmness, a little bit of that veteranness. you know, of uh, I don't have to do everything at top speed. I'm not always under attack. I, you know, I don't have to just stuff the puck away i can take my time move to the open ice find my target and i also saw him use that center outlet a couple times and that's where that play gives those guys options that they you know instead of just chopping off the boards where inevitably the order winger couldn't handle the the play to get it out of the zone uh you know they have a couple of a couple of different options and that that center outlet pass when it works which is like 90 percent of the time uh it's it's a joy to watch because they Isn't walk it? it out. When they make that pass into the middle, usually the guy there can just walk it out. Yeah, it's so sweet. Now, it can backfire, like Parson, yeah. you know, the first goal kick, but he just missed the player. The guy was wide open. Yeah. He just missed him with the pass. But, it, and I agree with you about Benning. What I'm noticing is Benning making that pass, whereas maybe in yeah. the first few weeks of the season he wasn't. Now he's looking for it and he's making it. Because he is a, he's a very, he's got a high hockey IQ, Matt Benning. Like even though his execution offensively isn't outstanding, isn't good, isn't NHL, maybe NHL average, it's not even that. But 
you can see he's he reads the game well. Uh, and and um, I just think it, there's an issue. Maybe there maybe there was just an issue of of tactics with all of these defensemen, um, where there was too much focus on a, on a tactic which every other team had down. Like you're putting up the boards, we're going to ram it down your throat every single time. Yeah, yeah so, a lot of Anaheim uh, used to kill Oilers along the boards. Ah, didn't they? Remember all those times that they pulled the goalie and tied it up, and it was because they always won all the puck battles along the boards, and the Oilers could never get it out over their own blue line. And then so you have a bunch of yeah, you have centers like McDavid, Nuge, Drysaddle, uh, Haas, mm-hmm. who can all take and make a pass, and Sheehan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have the right personnel up the middle of the ice to, to make this kind the, of thing work. It's the defensive partner who's covering the front of the net, but you win the puck in the corner and you whip it over to your guy in front and out he goes with it. You know, as long as you're uh, taking a glance before you're firing the puck over there, I mean, it's a routine pass. You just got to make it, and you got to have confidence that you got the skill to make and take and receive and, those passes. Yeah, and they're and NHL they're players. starting to show that. Yeah. So good for uh, both Dave Tippett and Jim Playfair. I think it was a, a dual effort. Like they both, uh, you know, listen, other NHL teams have been doing this for some time mm-hmm. and um, taking advantage of this and making this work. And so they didn't invent this, but <laughs> they were open to it. Not only open to it, but when it went wrong in the preseason, they didn't back away from it. They committed, they, they doubled down it. No, this is what we're doing. We're just going to do it right. And they just kept going with it. And it, it, it has backfired a few times, but, it's paid off. Like, let's say it's caused so far two or three goals against it's probably caused five or six less, like less goals against because you're advancing the puck out and breaking the cycle that way. So, so it has caused times they're advancing the puck and, and taking it and down scoring. the other end and scoring. Yeah. Well, yeah. Especially with Ethan bear making those passes because that dude is hot as a pistol. I was just wondering, Bruce, do you think that a, so Bob Green is famously responsible for the Griffin Reinhardt or blamed for the Griffin Reinhardt trade. But Bob Green also in 2015, uh, I think it was, drafted both Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones. So with Ethan Bear's development, Bruce, can he get a, an official pardon? Can Bob Green get an official pardon for the his play, his role in the Griffin Reinhardt trade because of Ethan Bear's development? Yes or no? Well, I give Bob Green a passing grade generally myself. <laughs> I have a bit of a soft spot yeah, for so Bob do Green. I. And I think he got so a bit. I. I think he got a bit of a bad rap for, uh, uh, you know, his part in the Reinhardt trade. I completely which was, agree. I think he recommended the player. I'm not sure he recommended the trade, right? Because I gave up a lot to get that well, player. Well, and the other thing is, Bruce, he, he was the amateur scout. There was a whole pro year. Like they have pro scouts. And nobody scouted them. So, so if you had yeah. a pro scout who said, "Oh yeah, he, that was my territory. I saw him actually play this year. He didn't improve at all. He was he was just mediocre in the AHL." Then presumably that would have overridden whatever Bob Green had to say based on older information. So I, I blame the pro scout, whoever the Oilers pro scout was, watching the AHL that year, watching those particular teams. And if they didn't have someone doing that, then that's horrible. But I'm sure they had someone. That's it's that person's fault. Most, yeah. He is that person, and then Shirelli, of course, who actually negotiated the uh, both ends of that deal. What's your number? Well, I got a number. It's 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 not a number you're going to find on a stat sheet, but I'm going to tell you about it. That number is seven, and that is the number of splendid defensive plays I personally counted that Leon Dreisaitl made in this game tonight. He played a wonderful two-way game. 
and just time and again he was the the stick or the guy in the way or the uh, the guy hustling on the back check or the guy causing the turnover and uh, I think of one play where he, there was a passing play that came out from the corner and there was a guy alone from the slot and Leon collapsed back from the point man he was covering he read it and he, bu he busted over to the guy and he was able to lift his stick and and turn a very dangerous chance into a weak shot. And two or three times just uh, winning the puck battle in the defensive zone, coming away with the puck, and not just having it, but making a pass and, and starting the play the other way. And most notably, that was the play that started the great Connor McDavid goal that you described earlier, where first of all, the puck was down in Edmonton's territory, Leon against two ducks. And guess who came out with the puck? And in a split second, perfect pass onto Cassian's stick. Cassian touched it over to McDavid, and Connor did the rest. But uh, without that defensive play, that rush never happens. And it was just time and again in this game. Like I say, there's no stat for it. But uh, watch this game again on video and remark to yourself, every time you see Leon makes a great defensive play, I, get, I bet you'll get to seven. I'm not even sure I saw them all, but I did see seven. He, Bruce, he is the boss. He, he is the boss. He is the boss. He bosses the game. You know, it, that's an expression from uh, European football where yeah. there's these big, strong uh, central midfielders who boss the game. They dominate the game because they win the ball and they make a great pass and uh, they kick off the offense. They get it all going. Now, he's also a striker, but... Yeah. Leon Dreisel is the boss, man. He just he's just bossing every single game almost that he plays in. He is the he's he's ruling the ice when he's out there. Good for him. He is he's the he best also, player in the NHL right now. He also made a now. great great pass on the first McDavid goal. Again, yeah, from the Forces. from the neutral zone, but he found McDavid at speed with room in front of him. And Leon is the best player on the Oilers for making that pass, whether it's five feet or or 75 feet, he'll find Connor and he'll put the puck on his tape. Not every single time, no one's perfect, but time and time and time again, that'll be a good pass and and uh, away goes Connor. And it sure was good to see Connor with such a jump in his step tonight. I've been a little, little uh, underwhelmed with, uh, with, you know, he's obviously a great player, but I haven't seen him at the very top of his game very often uh, throughout this season, but he was there tonight. He was really jumping. So. He's coming back from a major knee injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fact there. that he listen, it's I think it's there sometimes. The you know the jump and the pop is there sometimes, and other times it's just not. And um, I'm thrilled to see it there uh, 50 percent of the time. Like I think in about half the games he's flying, and the other half he's not. But um, that was a, that, yeah, it's it's great that it's there. Okay, my number, Bruce, is. Um, so in grade A scoring chances, like, so at the Cult of Hockey, we look at grade A scoring chances. You know, it's my idea that this is kind of the heart of the game. If, if you get more grade A scoring chances than the other team, it probably means you've outplayed them. And it probably means you, you have a good chance of winning as well. It's going to come down to goaltending after that. So that's why we focus on grade A scoring chances. Tonight, it was 14 to 9 for the Oilers. Uh, Mikko Koskinen had to, some tough saves to make. He had another good game, generally speaking. Um, but... One of the things we've noticed is that the the big three on the Oilers, Dreisaitl, McDavid, and Neal, tend to get more chances than the rest of the team combined earlier in the year. This is what was going on. So in the last couple of games, I've been keeping track of this. 
And uh, tonight, Bruce, the the other players on the orders actually got eight grade A scoring chance shots, and the big three got six. Five for McDavid, one for Neal. Uh, Drysdale got some passes on McDavid. So so eight from the other guys. And counting Nuge is not one of the big three. He because right? he's not because he hasn't right. had that many grade A scoring not, chance not shots. Not a finisher. No, not this yeah. year. So um, you get eight. You get eight grade A scoring chance shots from the other the non big three players on the Oilers. You're going to win almost every game if you're the Edmonton Oilers because you know McDavid, Drysdale, and Neal are going to come through. So uh, good for those players. And again, this is this part of what a good what what happens with a good team when it's when when everything starts to function, um, when everyone's doing their job. It's kind of an amazing thing to behold. We haven't seen that in Edmonton in a really long time. I think we saw it in the, at times we saw it in 2016, 17. We saw it in the, obviously in the 2006 playoff run. We saw a team where everything was functioning. Um, And we, and we're used to that from the 1980s where we got oh so used to it and and enjoyed it so much, but we're seeing that we've probably seen it now. I don't know, two or three times, two or three games this year, but not really Tonight was the first night, I think, where we've seen it all across the board where everything was functioning well. Every player did their job tonight. As far as I can tell, you know, Joel Person had a rough game, but every, you know, he came on as well. Everything functioned well tonight, except for, you know, that one problem on defense. And that's a pretty impressive hockey team right now. And it starts to make me think, wow, this might be for real. Well, Oilers just completely took over the last 40 minutes of that game, I'd say even possibly the last 50 minutes. So, uh, and they uh, uh, they were clearly, you know, as the night got on, the difference between the two teams just got wider. And Edmonton was basically in complete command on the stretch. And uh, that's lovely yeah. to watch, man. That's and, and, you know, they were jumping on pucks. They were zipping around in position, supporting the pucks. You know, they win the puck battle in their own zone and the guy would have someone to pass it to and he'd make the pass and the other buddy would take the pass and get it out of the zone. None of this fumbling around turnovers at the blue line like we're so used to seeing. And tonight, I mean, you can often question the caliber of the opposition and I'm sure you can tonight, but all you can do is play the team in front of you and tonight the Oilers played that team and convincingly beat them. Nice. Yeah, the only caveat tonight was, again, Josh Manson and, and Hampus Lindholm being out. And that's a pretty big caveat, actually. So so we'll see. It's a work in progress, but uh, I'm liking how it's working out. All righty, Bruce, so you got the game grades tonight? I sure do. Uh, I got to get hustling here, but uh, got some happy things to write about tonight. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.